The Voice America Business Channel is brought to you by Intercall, the worldwide conferencing leader. Check out easy and reliable conferencing solutions at www.intercall.com forward slash radio. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard, it's just a love ride. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I am also the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy and Tech Stocks. And my company, Taylor Hard Money Advisors, is also in partnership with uh, Roger Wiegand, who publishes Trader Tracks, and Chen Lin, who publishes What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? We do have a special one-time only introductory offer for these three newsletters. Now, it's not uh, each in separate offers, that is, so it's not uh, all in one. You have to choose which or which of the three, or we hope all three, uh, you may want to give a try if you haven't already tried them. Uh, call Claudio Bassi in New York during regular work hours at 718-457-1426. That's 718-457-1426. Or you can simply go to our website at miningstocks.com, miningstocks.com, and uh, go into the order section of the website. The best website to go to to follow everything that I do, uh, including accessing this radio show, is jtaylormedia.com. That's J-A-Y-T-A-Y-L-O-R media.com. Uh, without the triple W's. You can access uh, this radio show as well as all three of those newsletters uh, that I just mentioned uh, and also to catch up with some of the videos that I have done, the CEO videos. There are a number of company CEOs that I interviewed when I was in Vancouver in January that are posted there uh, and also uh, you can follow some of my appearances on CNBC, Fox, BNN and other uh, radio programs, etc. jtaylormedia.com I uh, want to thank each of you for listening to this show and making this the number one show on the Voice America Business Channel. Uh, we uh, want to also thank the sponsors uh, who make this show economically viable. And for the first hour of today's show, we have Crocodile Gold, 
Go West Limited, Travale Mining Corporation, Entertopia Corporation, Smash Minerals Corporation, Ariga Gold Corp, San Gold Corp, and Palangio Explorations. Uh, this is, I believe, very definitely the buying opportunity of a lifetime for gold mining shares. I've been saying that week after week, month after month. And the reason I say that is because the economics for gold mining is very, very strong. We are seeing a growing number of companies in the exploration business because dollars are available uh, to the exploration companies. And dollars are available to the exploration companies primarily because uh, because of the economics of gold mining at the top end of the food chain. We're talking about major mining companies like Agni Eagle, Anglo Gold, Ashanti, Barrick, Gold Corp, Kinross, Newmont Mining, Yamana Gold. Those companies have seen a real, very, very rapid growth in earnings. For example, if I add up all the per share earnings in 2008 for those companies I just named, the total was $5.77. In 2009, that grew to $7.05. 2010, that grew to $13.62. So that's the, the three-year history for those senior mining companies. From $5.77 to $13.62, the, uh, the, the addition of all per share earnings for each of those household name gold mining companies. Now, the consensus analyst, the consensus view of the analysts that track those companies is for that number to grow to $18.75 this year and uh, $23.36 in 2012. Well, of course, there's no guarantees in life, save death and taxes, but we do believe that for reasons that we've talked about many times, we are in a bull market of a lifetime. This is uh, a, an unusually good time for gold and silver mining companies because people are losing confidence in paper money. And the amount of confidence to be lost in paper money is probably second to no time in history. And the reason I say that is because never before have we had a period of time when no country, virtually no country in the world, is on any kind of a commodity or gold or precious metals back system. Everybody is printing money. Under the false notion that somehow wealth can be created with the printing press, uh, it, it is ludicrous, but that is what we've been taught. That's what our universities have been taught. And guess who benefits from that lie, that big lie, benefits the people that have control of the printing press. So as long as people can keep you convinced uh, that, uh, they're, uh, that, that uh, the money that you have in your bank account is worth something, uh, as long as the con job can prevail, then those people who are in charge of the process of allocating credit, essentially doling out the, uh, the units of purchase uh, that are created from nothing, uh, they will continue to reallocate wealth from those that create the wealth. And I like to say in general, it's the miners, the manufacturers, the farmers, the inventors, people that actually create wealth, things that you need. Well, as long as they can convince those people to give up and to get paid in increasingly worthless currency, then those people that can continue that con job keep reallocating wealth. And who are those people? Well, primarily, they're the major banks. They're the big banks because that's where the wedge is created, the Federal Reserve and the banking system. As G. Edward Griffin has said, it's a monopoly system. Those folks want to keep the system in place. And so they don't particularly like somebody like Ron Paul uh, to run for president who would actually try to replace the paper money with something that's real, or let's give Americans the choice. 
of using what they want to use as a medium of exchange. No, uh, the people that are in charge of the system, and we must also add the government, which is getting bigger and bigger as more and more of our GDP is allocated to government and away from the private sector, those are the folks that want to keep the system intact. And I might also add that large corporations that are involved in this process and who sponsor the television shows, uh, the mainstream shows, those companies also want to see the status quo in place. Well, uh, people are losing confidence no matter how effective the propaganda machine is, uh, and it is very effective, as, uh, as Dmitry Orloff opined and others on this show have opined that the, uh, that the propaganda machine in America is far superior to anything we've ever seen in the Soviet Union, uh, that uh, there at least the people knew that that hammer and sickle on the wall were a symbol for a brutal dictatorship. Here we have people dressed in fine suits, Brooks Brothers suits, speaking on behalf of Wall Street, and these fellows a lot of times, and ladies, have nice fancy degrees from nice fancy universities behind their name, and who could question the PhDs from Harvard and Yale? Aren't they uh, the people that we uh, should place our trust in? Well, we've been sort of taught to believe that way. But more and more people are not believing that way. People are uh, losing confidence in the uh, paper currency. And we're going to be talking later in the show, in the second hour of today's show, with Chris Powell of the Gold Antitrust Action Committee. Chris will talk about uh, a lot of the evidence uh, that is out there right now that he's been passing along on behalf of GATA. It really, sh uh, this is really uh, information that's out in the media, information uh, that we're getting on the internet and elsewhere, uh, really showing that not only individuals, but increasingly larger interests, and even one major uh, college fund has decided that it wants to take delivery of gold rather than owning the paper. We'll ask Chris why that is happening, why the distrust and a whole lot of other questions regarding the gold and silver markets we'll be talking to Chris about. A lot of people are also losing confidence in, uh, in, the, in the institutions in general of government, and they are moving their money offshore. They're looking for places to invest, at, at the very least to diversify out of the dollar, to put their money into other currencies, and very possibly to buy tangible assets in other countries. And so uh, yours truly has been on a visit recently to Café Jate, a small town, uh, a rural, isolated town in Argentina, where Doug Casey and a group of people have put uh, a, very, uh, a very nice place together, um, a resort, if you will, uh, in an isolated area in a wine uh, vineyards of, um, in, in the middle of the Andes Mountains uh, in a very lovely climate uh, people are looking for places like that to go to. We will be talking to Terry Coxon in about 20 minutes from now. Uh, Terry Coxon is an expert uh, in terms of offshore investing, what you can do legally, and, uh, and how you might consider uh, a legal approach to protecting your investments and even uh, perhaps looking for a place uh, to, to go to uh, if you have the ability to do that uh, in the event that uh, that things get rather um, nasty, shall we say, uh, if things, uh, if civil, if civil order is turned into civil disorder in the United States. Well, there's reason to think that is definitely a possibility. It's certainly not anything that any of us want to see happen. But uh, when you start to look at what happens in nations, when you start having big problems, 
uh, with the monetary order uh, and with the um, the breakdown in the economic system, then things are possible. And I think it's it makes sense to prepare for those uh, for those events, uh, not to be an alarmist, but actually just. Let's just look at what is actually happening. Let's look at history and let's take a look at what the United States is doing. It is destroying its currency and in the process I believe it is destroying the economic system that we have. It's certainly destroying our liberties which is another reason a lot of people are looking to go to places like Cafe Jate. Well before we get to Terry Coxon, we are going to be talking to one of our sponsors and we're going to be talking to Dr. Mark Cruz. He is the president and CEO of Travali Mining Corporation. This is a very interesting company that is advanced, uh, moving very rapidly towards production. In this case, not of gold. They will be producing some silver, but we're talking zinc, lead, and copper. So it should be very interesting to talk to Dr. Mark Cruz to see uh, what sort of upside potential investment opportunities might be available by investing in that company. Uh, and then in the second part of this uh, show today, towards the end, we will be talking to my friend Ted, oh Ted Ohashi, who is uh, with InvestmentPitch.com. And right before him, we're going to be talking uh, to uh, Peter Bohus, who is the uh, who is in charge uh, of a company that is in the uranium mining sector uh, in Wyoming and we'll be talking to, to uh, Peter a little bit also again about the uh, nuclear power industry at a time when of course there are a lot of people who are very very skeptical about its ability to uh, to deliver continue to delivering uh, safe energy well that's about all the time we have for this opening segment uh, but don't go away because coming up on the other side of the uh, commercial break will be Dr. Mark Cruz of Trevally Mining Corporation. Don't go away. We'll be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Parkerville Gold Mines, BGM on the TSX.V, is focused on the exploration and development of its gold projects in the historic Caribou Goldfields in British Columbia. Parkerville's mineral tenure now encompasses over 111,000 hectares, covering the 60-kilometer-long by 20-kilometer-wide geological belt and includes seven past-producing mines and two of Parkerville's own proposed open-pit mines, currently in the permitting process. Parkerville recently announced the acquisition of the QR mine and 900-ton-per-day QR mill. Parker Parkerville Gold began mining operations in February of 2010 and is expecting to produce 50,000 ounces in its first full year of mining. Enertopia Corporation is exploring for precious metal deposits in the western United States. The Copper Hills Project is a near-surface copper and silver oxide deposit. Historic bulk sampling has returned results of 0.8% copper and 3 ounces per ton silver. This year's work program will consist of an IP survey and a drilling program to test the near-surface copper-silver mineralization. Additional projects are under review. Enertopia trades on the OTCBB under ticker ENRT and in Canada under the symbol TOP on the CNN. SX Exchange. Origa Gold is a Canadian mine development and exploration company working in Manitoba's prolific Flin Flon Greenstone Belt. Origa's experienced management team is focused on developing the Maverick Gold Project and expanding gold resources. Maverick Gold includes historical gold resources, a 1,000 ton per day mill, developed underground ramp, year-round roads, and exploration access. Origa plans to bring Maverick Gold back into production in 2012. Origa Gold trades on the TSX Venture under the symbol AIA. Crocodile Gold Corp. is a new gold producer with bite. 
with operating gold mines in the Northern Territory of Australia. Crocodile Gold produced 82,000 ounces of gold in 2010. Crocodile Gold has significant exploration upside on its expansive land package of 2,500 square kilometres. Please visit our website at www.crocgold.com for more information. Don't let this snappy opportunity pass by. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love and ride. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard, it's just a love you're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm pleased to have with me Dr. Mark Cruz. He's the president and CEO of Trevale Mining Corporation. Trevale Mining Corporation trades on the Toronto Venture Exchange under the symbol TV, and you can buy it in the U.S. over-the-counter market under the symbol T-R-E-V-F. Uh, 89.7 million shares outstanding, 106.6 million fully diluted. Uh, the company does have around $16 million of cash in the till, and if its uh, shares, uh, if those warrants and options were exercised, it would add another, I believe, 17 or, 17 or $18 million, perhaps. Uh, the stock is trading at $1.70 today, giving it a market cap of around $150 million. Well, welcome, Dr. Cruz, to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Hi there. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Very good to have you with me. Uh, you are a company that bills itself primarily as the next mid-tier zinc, lead, silver, and copper producer in the Americas. How far along are you towards reaching that goal? Yeah, well, we're actually pr- pretty advanced. Um, you know, we're, we're a, a relatively new story on the street. We only listed in Toronto on the TSX last October, but, but since then we've been incredibly active. Um, we, we've taken over another Canadian junior, uh, which has dramatically increased our, our kind of resource base. So from where we are today, we're sitting on approximately 7 billion pounds of zinc equivalent, but, but more importantly, they are very advanced projects. Um, really what we went looking for were former producing mines where a lot of the capex was already invested, things that we could get to the market quickly and take advantage of you know, the high commodity price cycles um, that are there. So fr- from where we are today, actually our new Brunswick mine, Half Mile, um, should be hitting production in September of this year. And we'll be starting off at 2,000 tons per day production and ultimately ramping up to 4,000 tons per day with, with time. Um, then towards the end of this year, our Peruvian mine, Santander, will be commissioned with our partners, Glencore International, towards the end of the year. And first quarter of 2012, it should be hitting full, full nameplate name production. Mm-hmm. Well, could you give our listeners some sense of the capital expenditures? You mentioned that strategy of going in and acquiring properties that had a great deal of the capital already invested invested in them. That sounds to me like a really smart move, but uh, could you give our, our listeners a sense of what your CapEx requirements are for these two mines that are coming online? 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, starting off with our half-mile project in New Brunswick, um, the total capex from where we are today is approximately $25 million. Um, you know, to put that into context, a brand new Greenfields mine site, apart from permitting delays and everything else that goes with that, will probably cost you on the order of probably closer to $100 million for, for what we're trying mm. to achieve. Um, similarly, in Peru, um, you know, it's $15 million from where we are today. Um, you know, we're pretty fortunate, as you mentioned, we're sitting on $16 million. Um, all our dilutive instruments, our warrants and our options are also deeply in the money. So we'd like to th- think that we will realize, you know, proceeds from them as, as we move forward and hit, you know, some of our main um, decision points. Um, but but mm-hmm. also we um, announced a, a debt financing agreement with a very large German bank, West LB, for $30 million as well. Um, so you know, from, from where we are today, we we pretty 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 good shape financially to um, to achieve our goals. Mm-hmm. And that thirty million dollar financing is that? Uh, are, are you required to lock in some prices on that on some commodities? There will be a modest hedge program, but to be honest, from what we're seeing, it it, it is actually very minor. Um, to be honest, mm-hmm. you know, give, given what, what you know the, the terms that are being offered in hedges at the moment, it'll be good to lock in, <laughs> lock in as much as possible. Uh-huh. But um, yeah. but no, there will be a, a modest, um, yeah, modest, um, yeah, hedge hedge requirement with that. Well, given that uh, comment that you just made, uh, it certainly we're seeing copper prices reach a new high. Uh, what about the other metals? I'm not quite as familiar with zinc and lead. How are they selling these days? How are they priced relative to historical pricing? Yeah, I mean, essentially, um, starting off with, with zinc, um, zinc is, you know, they're, they're predicting, you know, it, it's going to be the next base metal to, to rise af- after copper. Um, really, the fundamentals of the global zinc industry are, are pretty interesting. Um, stepping back, you know, the majors and the super major mining companies got out of zinc in, in the 2000s. And really what's happened as an industry, there's been no new zinc discovery since 1990, effectively. So a lot of these big, big marquee mines that, that produce most of the world's concentrates are simply exhausted. And really what we're seeing is there's three of these mines in particular, one in Australia called Century, and New Brunswick in Canada, and the Lachine mine in Ireland that I was involved with. The three of those are, are going to be exhausted in the next 12 to 15 months, more or less. And we're looking at 15% of the world's concentrates just out of those three mines alone. Um, mm. Meanwhile, demand is growing. Um, obviously, with, with the BRICS and a lot of global infrastructure rebuilds, um, really, you know, you use zinc for anything you use copper for or steel. Zinc tends to follow it. And the main use is obviously galvanizing um, for anti-corrosive um, properties and obviously the automobile industry as well. Um, so it looks good, though. So large mines are closing. They're not being replaced. And, um, you know, other large zinc deposits that are out there globally are in politically very high-risk parts of the world. Um, South Africa, Iran, you know, Russia, you can argue about. Um, so certainly you know, you're looking at probably five to ten years maybe before they could ever reach the market and very, very large capexes that would go along with them as well. Mm-hmm. And I would presume a lot of this demand is coming out of China still, and you would expect that would continue. Does China have some zinc mines that they might be building there uh, that you're aware of? Oh, no, China does. China right. is actually the world's largest producer of zinc. They, they produce about 5 million tons annually, um, but they're, they're the lar- world's largest importer as well. Um, what we're seeing is that a lot of the, the smaller Chinese mines are actually getting uh, amalgamated into, into bigger mining units, and typically what happens with those is the less efficient mines tend to close down, uh, and they don't tend to open up again just as they seek greater efficiencies. Um, uh-huh. And really, that, that's what happened with the smelting industry as well, which is largely driven, driven by, by Asia as well. 
Um, a lot of the smelters have combined as well and, and got bigger. And as a result of that, the smelters are actually having trouble finding concentrates to, to feed their end of the business. So you're seeing a lot of M&A activity, um, mainly amongst the majors, but it is coming downstream now. Um, the Indian company Vendata bought Anglo-American Zinc um, Wing for $1.8 billion at the start of the year. And then you're seeing you know, the smelters as well. They can't get the concentrates or secure them on the open market, so they're going downstream and having to buy the mines so they can secure their own feed. Um, certainly, you know, Korea Zinc, the world's largest smelting company, has taken strategic positions in various companies. Um, Nearstar have, have bought a, you know, a few Canadian companies and um, Farland Mining for $410 million at the start of the year as well. Um, so it is actually quite, quite an interesting space. Uh, and you know, what we think is over the next 12 months, it's probably likely, likely to heat up as well as you know, demand increases and hopefully you know, prices respond um, with, with that as well. What about your outlook for lead? Lead. Well, lead is doing incredibly well. Um, there's very, um, there's, there's almost lead deficits at the moment on the LME, or, or pretty close to it. Um, it. It's currently, you know, selling for about 120 per pound. Um, and again, automobiles, batteries are the main end use. Um, obviously, a lot of electric vehicles, a lot of um, uh, automobiles. Um, China is the world's biggest end user. Um, but certainly, the next three to four years, it looks like you know, lead maybe maybe a good space to be. Um, you know, on a revenue basis, probably, you know, based on our current recoveries and mine plans, we'll, about 20% of our revenue will be lead-derived. Um, but, but more importantly for us, our lead contains significant silver. So if, if nothing else, um, you know, we like lead, well, certainly our lead, because we get a lot of silver byproduct with it as well, which um, is a nice place to be today. Well, certainly with prices uh, where, where they are these days for silver, it's a, it's a big boost. So you're talking, I think you mentioned before we went on the air, that you expect your zinc to produce uh, provide about 45% of your revenues. Uh, how, do, how do the other metals break down then? Uh, yeah. I'm, I guess we're talking about the first two mines that you're ready to put in, move, uh, moving towards production. Uh, absolutely. Just looking, yeah, zinc about yeah 45 percent. Um, approximately 20 percent of our revenue will be from from lead, and at current prices, approximately 30 percent will be silver. So actually, very significant silver silver production. Um, looking on the order of 1.5 to 2 million ounces per annum, and that's just at the start of 2,000 tons per day. And you know, ultimately, if it, when we double production as planned going forward, that would that would increase um, you know uh, twofold as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, now you uh, let's let's just talk briefly about the uh, economics. You're very advanced. You're planning to go into production with your New Brunswick mine this uh, later this year, I guess. Could you talk to us a little bit about the uh, what you're expecting to produce there and what sort of um, operating cash flow might we expect uh, from that project? Yeah, certainly. I mean, that there is um, there's a preliminary economic assessment that's out there in the public domain. So, using long-term prices, the half mile, the New Brunswick assets um, are worth, you know, discounted at eight percent, are worth 253 million dollars Canadian um, using long-term prices. Um, so, certainly that will be bumped up at, at current at the current commodity price decks. Um, our cash costs there, we're, we're still working it obviously internally, but we're looking at probably in the order of about. 70, 70 to 80 dollars per ton. Um, you know, currently the the mineralized material, the, the the run of mine is worth approximately 350 to 400 dollars per ton. So certainly very good margins. Mm-hmm. Um, we've done a lot of metallurgical test work. It it actually responds very well um, in the mill. Um, and really, what we're trying to tweak now is we we think we might be significantly underestimating the precious metal content in the ore. 
Um, so mm. we've, we've just finished a, a drill test program to, to try and answer those questions, and those results should be out in the next, next few days. Um, but obviously what we'd like to see is increased precious metal, um, and then we just need to do the test work to see where it reports to which concentrates so we can see you know, how much we get paid for it. Sure. What uh, are, are you planning to? Uh, I think initially have some custom milling done there, and then you're and then you'll be feeding the material into your own mill. Is that right? Yes, that's right. Um, we're, we're you know finalizing an agreement with Extrata, um, big big multinational mining company that we would they will toll mill on our behalf at their Brunswick Number no. Twelve operation until it closes down, um, and that's looking like sometime in the end the end of 2013. Obviously, it may stretch if commodity prices keep up there. Um, you know, so that will give us, you know, immediate you know, near-term cash flow, um, and then we'll start permitting our own standalone operation. Um, so, you know, once once as Brunswick 12 starts coming off stream, we'll have started construction on our own mine uh, to minimise down down our own plant, obviously, uh, mm-hmm. and then transfer over production into our own milling facility. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, let's go to Peru then. What are you expecting from Purdue? How much uh, metal will you produce there, and and what might be the operating cash flow from that from that project? Yeah, so certainly in Peru, um, obviously that was that was the Trevally flagship property. Um, you know, our, our partners there are Glencore International, so it just makes it a little bit unique. So they're our mining department. So they're um, designing, building, and operating the mine um, for us at cost. And they're also bringing a 2,000 ton per day processing plant to the site. Um, you know, we're 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 actually getting that plant off them for 12 million dollars, as opposed to it's going to cost us 60 to 70 million dollars new. So it certainly tells you, you know, how, how bullish Glencore is on, on the zinc prices going forward. And the reason they're doing that is so they can secure the concentrates to sell them um, for, for the offtakes. Mm-hmm. Um, we're looking at um, cash costs are going to be in the order of um, $30 per tonne, so approximately half, half the cost of our North American operations. Largely, that is driven by power. And what makes us unique, I think, among a lot of mining companies is we have our own run-of-river hydroelectric power plant. Ooh, so, yes. you know, certainly, you know, any mining operation, about 30% of your costs are power, typically. Um, so instead of us paying full price for our power, we're just paying a fraction of that cost. Um, so, you know, if oil goes up, it's never a good thing, but it certainly won't hit us um, as it will with other other mining companies. So we should be able to take more of that commodity up upside off the table. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I'm sorry, I'm, yeah, I'm just sorry, just on a production basis, you know, based at 2,000 tonnes per day, we'll do about 45 million pounds payable zinc about 20 million pounds lead and about a million ounces of silver per annum um, at 2,000 tons per day. But really in Peru, the story's only getting t- told. Um, when we went there, there was, you know, there was an old mine, obviously, um, but really we liked the exploration upside. Um, so from 2008 today, we've drilled five targets. We've got five new deposits, so certainly oil company hit rates, and they all remain open for expansion. So for, for me, this is the most exciting thing. The rigs are turning at the moment. I've got three rigs turning. I'm trying to get another three in. Um, certainly, we just announced the discovery of our fifth zone a couple of weeks ago, and we're obviously following up on that as quickly as possible. But, but really, the, the, the plan in Peru is obviously hit production, but um, also on top of that is to grow that resource base as quick and as fast as possible. Um, and it could be you know, very much significantly larger. Um, so certainly something to watch out for in the, in the next coming weeks and months as those you know, drill results come in. We'll obviously be releasing them um, to the public domain. Could you give us, uh, what is the agreement with Glencore there? What's the uh, percentage of ownership on the project? Uh, they, they have none at all. Um, we, um, you know, in, in 2008, we got into negotiations with, with, with a big smelting company and obviously Glencore. And we, we inked the deal with Glencore because of their operational expertise and because they're bringing the plant. 
um, you know, we, we ask them not to become shareholders. Um, you know, the markets and whatever have a mixed uh, response to the metal traders. We, we find, I must admit, Glencore fantastic partners um, on both the um, corporate side from Zurich and on the operational side as well. Um, really what they get out of it is, is the offtake agreement. So they just get the right to buy the concentrates office at market prices. So they don't get any discount. They don't get any hedging. Um, so whatever you know, the price is in the London Metal Exchange, that's what you get paid. Um, uh, and they're in. I was going to say they're interested in the concentrate. Yes, absolutely. Uh-huh. So they get they get the right to market the concentrates, and really the concentrates we'll produce are very famous in Peru. And when the Santander mine was in production in the kind of from the 50s to the 80s, it, it set the benchmark for Peruvian concentrates at the time. And Glencore's predecessor company um, used to buy all the concentrates off the mine, or a lot of them as well. So it's a very clean concentrate. It's very readily saleable. Um, so obviously that's it's a real asset for any smelter or metal trader to get their hands on it. All right. Uh, just a quick question. We really uh, have passed our time already, but let me just ask you a couple more things I want to clear up. Uh, what about your? Uh, what about Peru and political concerns? I believe there's an election going on down there now. Uh, do you? Could you just maybe comment briefly on on uh, Peruvian political uh, concerns, if any? Sure, no, no, absolutely. The markets are concerned, so we may as well put that out on the table. Um, basically, the first runoffs were approximately a month ago. Um, there was a more left-wing candidate, um, uh, Humala, and then kind of the more right-wing side of things was split amongst four candidates. Um, really, you know, the first round, it's going to be between Humala and Keiko Fujimori, the former president's daughter. And the second round of the elections are on June 5th, and obviously that will decide who will be president for the next uh, five-year term. Um, really, what we're seeing is the markets are, are a bit spooked. Um, but to be honest, I mean, certainly, you know, Humala is uh, being a lot more moderate in his, his rhetoric anyway so far, and he's looking to Brazil as an economic model. And certainly, you know, Brazil has done incredibly well under Lula, so that's that's probably not a bad place to be. Um, so that that's really where it is now. Um, that said, I mean. You know, Peru is mining. Um, about 55% of GDP is mining. There's, a, I don't know, something like $40 billion, $45 billion of investment going into mining in Peru over the next four- to five-year period. And every major company on the planet is active there. So, you know, the general consensus, what we're hearing from Lima and from, from our office down there is, you know, the system's not working. The economy's doing very well. It's been growing at 5 to 10% for the last decade. So, you know, it wouldn't make sense to mess with that. And certainly, you know, Humala's been on record saying, no, listen, you know, things are working well. Um, you know, that, that's, you know it, it, it's business as usual. So that, mm-hmm. that's really where it is at the moment. Certainly, mining is such a big, a big part of the Peruvian economy, isn't it? It would be, uh, it would be a shame for them to uh, to destroy that. Um, give give us some idea of your uh, company's management team. You are going into production. It's not, you know, many of the companies that we talk to on this show have no intention of going into production. Uh, they are exploration companies. You're obviously both. Uh, could you just give us a brief, uh, a, a brief. Um, uh, description of some of your key management members, maybe starting with yourself. Um, sure, yeah. I mean, I, I'm a zinc specialist, spent my whole career in it. Um, started off with Pasminko Exploration, a big integrated Aussie mining smelting company. Um, but really, the lion's share of it was with Anglo American. Um, certainly, that they paid for my PhD, and I was part of a development project for them in Ireland called the Lachine Mine. Um, they moved me out here to North America in 01, and um, I ran all you know, copper zinc exploration for her base metal division for Anglo north of the Panama Canal at that time. 
Um, in 05, I found a change. I left my North American team, and we are, we're the same, same team that are behind Trevally Resources. So certainly, ex-major company, very good training. We, we've certainly built a lot of mines. We've been involved in a lot of much bigger projects than this one. So we're very comfortable in this space. Um, our chairman's probably worth pointing out as well. Tony Holler um, is our chairman. Um, he had a huge market success in, in North America, actually, IDB Biomedical in mid-2000s. He sold that to Glaxo for $1.7 billion. Um, but, but in mining space, he was recently chairman of Corriente Resources. Um, a Chinese company bought their copper deposits off them about a year ago for $680 million. Um, Mike Hoffman um, is coming over on board as well, ex-Real Algum, um, former VP operations at Gold Corp, um, over 25 years' experience um, in mining. He's built literally 20, 30 mines all over the globe as well, so mm. it's a real, real benefit having him. But also what you don't see is in the back office, I guess, because of our relationship with Glencore, we have access. They've got 300 specialists in Lima. It's where they run their, mm. their American operations, and we've got access to all those expertise. So we certainly punch way above our weight for um, any junior, and I'd argue we'd probably give most of the majors a run for their money as well. Um, so we're, we're very comfortable in this. Um, we've also just hired, you know, hiring on the Canadian side as well. Um, our you know, chief operating officer is coming over. He's recently building a mine for BHP. He's now obviously developing our um, half-mile deposit in um, New Brunswick, uh, Paul Keller. So we're, we're pretty well, you know, pretty well set up. Um, obviously, we're looking for other strategic, um, I guess, hires, I suppose, is the best way to put it. Um, mm-hmm. But because of our connections with the major companies, um, that doesn't seem to be an issue. Um, you know, I think a lot of people are keen to um, to be involved with the company going forward. Let me ask you, uh, what you, how do you think your company compares uh, in terms of market cap uh, capitalization with its peers? Uh, you you consider yourself? I mean, I don't expect most CEOs to say their stock is undervalued or overvalued, but uh, what do you think in terms of your peers? How do you how do you see your your company priced? And again, I, I guess you're a relatively new story, so maybe a lot of people haven't really focused on it yet. Yeah, I mean, certainly, you know, the Raymond James guys um, have, have been doing some comparatives for us um, going forward. Um, the first thing in small cap or medium cap, um, you know, zinc companies, if we want to call ourselves that, it's actually a pretty small field, which is quite mm-hmm. interesting. Um, our nearest comparative before we did the takeover of Korea Resources was um, Farallon Mining. Um, they had a mine in Mexico, 1,700 tons per day, similar resources. Um, they were bought by um, Nearstar, that smelting company, for $410 million at the start of the year. Um, really now, you know, we, we've jumped from 1.5 billion pounds zinc equivalent to 7 billion pounds. And now our nearest neighbor is Breakwater Resources. They've got um, three mines in operation. Uh, been mining them for quite some time. And they've got a market cap of approximately 500 million. Um, you mm-hmm. know, and as you mentioned today, we're, we're approximately 160 million or something in the, mm-hmm. thereabouts. So, um, yeah, no, we, we obviously think we are under, under you know, estimated. A lot of that is, is market recognition. Um, like I said, I mean, we hope to be starting an Amex listing in the next week or two. Um, mm-hmm. So certainly, you know, and we'll be obviously um, out there talking to a lot of people and, and getting the story out there. But, but I think the easiest way to, um, you know, get, get, get eyeballs on us is just keep hitting with those drill rigs. Like I said, we haven't missed yet. We, we certainly don't intend to start now. And um, just keep growing that resource base, and um, I think people will will wake up and start taking notice. Um, you know what what we're hearing is we're hoping to get analyst coverage out soon, but you know we we really think we will become one of the go-to companies um, for you know mid mid cap zinc companies once once you know the markets start um, you know re- recognizing us. Very good, very interesting. We are out of time. Let me ask you though to tell our listeners what is your website so they can follow your company's progress. Sure, it's obviously uh, www.trevallimining.com. 
Great. Well, I want to thank you very much uh, for sharing this story. It's the first time I've really focused on it. It is something very interesting to me. Uh, I hope we can talk to you sometime in the future, in the not-too-distant future, once you get the uh, some more drill results back and we can start looking at uh, possibly uh, another up upgraded uh, resource number. Uh, absolutely. No, certainly um, watch, watch this space, as they say. Okay, great. Well, thank you very much. Folks, don't go away. We've got to take a commercial break. Don't go away because coming up next is Terry Coxon. I'm going to talk to Terry about how you might look to invest offshore, diversify your holdings, protect your wealth against a rapidly declining dollar. Don't go away. We'll be right back with Terry Coxon. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Crocodile Gold Corp is a new gold producer with bite. With operating gold mines in the Northern Territory of Australia, Crocodile Gold produced 82,000 ounces of gold in 2010. Crocodile Gold has significant exploration upside on its expansive land package of 2,500 square kilometres. Please visit our website at www.crocgold.com for more information. Don't let this snappy opportunity pass by. Parkerville Gold Mines, BGM on the TSX.V, is focused on the exploration and development of its gold projects in the historic Caribou Goldfields in British Columbia. Parkerville's mineral tenure now encompasses over 111,000 hectares, covering the 60-kilometer long by 20-kilometer wide geological belt and includes seven past-producing mines and two of Parkerville's own proposed open pit mines, currently in the permitting process. Parkerville recently announced the acquisition of the QR mine and 900-ton-per-day QR mill. Parker Parkerville Gold began mining operations in February of 2010 and is expecting to produce 50,000 ounces in its first full year of mining. This program is brought to you by Sandgold at www.sandgold.ca. Sandgold is an aggressive gold company operating in Manitoba, Canada, a top 10 gold mining region. Sandgold continues to show tremendous exploration success. With two mines already in production, the company is now revealing a new gold mining trend. Discover the potential at Sandgold. Trading symbol SGRCF on the OTCQX and SGR on the Toronto Exchange. Visit our website at www. Brigus Gold is a growing gold producer with expected production of about 85,000 ounces of gold this year from its Black Fox mine in the Timmins Gold District in Canada. Next door to Black Fox, Brigus has the exciting Gray Fox Pike River Gold Project. Brigus is also advancing its gold fields project in Saskatchewan, Canada, and its promising exploration projects in Mexico and the Dominican Republic. All of its gold assets are in low-risk operating jurisdictions. Consider Brigus as your gold investment choice. Brigus is listed on the MX and TSX under the symbol BRD. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're listening. 
listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am pleased to have with me Terry Coxon. Terry is a regular contributor to the popular financial newsletter, The Casey Report. Uh, Terry has an extensive global network of institutional financial relationships and a distinguished personal history as an architect of innovative financial planning arrangements, including the Permanent Portfolio Fund, the United States Gold Trust, um, that was the first gold ETF, by the way, uh, the Passport Financial Offshore Trust, and the Open Opportunity IRA. Terry's uh, primary area of expertise in writing today, however, uh, has to do with the legal, legally uh, expatriating and safeguarding your wealth using offshore trusts and structures for internationalizing IRAs. Uh, Terry's uh, Passport IRA program draws on decades of experience from some of the industry's leading experts, his ties to experts go back decades. Uh, Mr. Coxon edited all the books written by the late Harry Brown from 1976 onward, including Harry Brown's Complete Guide to Swiss Banks. Uh, Mr. Coxon also edits all, uh, has edited all of the issues of Harry Brown's special reports during its 20 years of publication. Welcome, Terry, to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Well, it's good to be here, Jay. It's really good to have you with me. Uh, we met down in Cafe Jati uh, with Mr. Casey and other uh, people that had attended that conference. That was really a good time. Uh, it was a pleasure meeting you. It's also a pleasure knowing someone who has worked so closely with Harry Brown. I was not aware uh, that you were that you had worked so closely with him. Certainly, a, a tragedy. His passing, it seems to me, uh, at an early age, earlier than anticipated age. Uh, he certainly was one who understood hard money and the uh, and the damages that are being that we're seeing unfolding before us now from fiat money um, many of our guests on this show have voiced concerns about the potential for capital controls uh, to try to keep Americans from investing overseas uh, as the Federal Reserve continues to print this money and damage our currency do you share those concerns it, it is a worry uh, when governments get into serious trouble trying to protect their currency uh, because they've printed too much of it, one of the things they sometimes do is to make it difficult or impossible for their own citizens to spend the money or move the money outside of their home country. That means uh, that there might be additional taxes or special taxes on investments outside the U.S., uh, means that you might need a permit or special permission to uh, import goods from outside the U.S. Uh, it can make it very difficult for someone to travel outside the country when capital controls are imposed. So one of the reasons, and there's, there's a long list, but one of the reasons that people are now considering setting up their own offshore arrangements is to get ahead of capital controls, to act before the, the door closes. 
we've seen the door close, have we not? Uh, during the seventies, I think there was um, there was um, capital controls put into place. Is that right? Not exactly. In the nineteen sixties, uh, early nineteen sixties, uh, after uh, the U.S. started losing gold rather than bringing gold in to the Treasury. Uh, Congress imposed the income equalization tax, and what it did was to impose uh, a surtax on interest and dividends that Americans earn from foreign investments. That was just uh, that's capital controls light. Uh, mm-hmm. This time around, it may get uh, uh, much heavier uh, and go as far as uh, prohibiting investing outside the U.S. So there you could invest outside, but you were discouraged from doing it, obviously, by that heavy tax. Was it a, was it, was it a heavy tax? What, how much tax, it was, y- it if was you a, have any was, idea? I recall it was a 15% tax uh, yeah. in addition to regular income tax. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, the, the governments uh, certainly can do pretty much what they want if the populace is complacent and um, I, I, my quest, question that I have in my mind is how complacent will Americans be as more and more draconian measures are put into place? Uh, you mentioned uh, the freedom to travel. Um, you know, we we as Americans have been pretty free to go where we want to go. Uh, are you suggesting, I know it's more difficult getting through airports these days, and I was sort of uh, a little bit uh, surprised at how easy it was in Argentina, it seemed, to go through uh, go through security than it was in the U.S. I don't mean to say they were lax by any means. In fact, it's you know I've I've seen things happen in the United States through our security uh, apparatus, uh, security uh, uh, setup that that would make your hair stand on end because we're supposed to be safe. And I've seen things happen and heard of things happening there that that make me wonder how how many things are stopping, but. Do you, so is it, it's still easy enough for Americans to travel, but it's becoming more difficult, is it not, for us to set up accounts overseas? It is more difficult to open a, a bank account or a brokerage account uh, outside the U.S. because the institutions in other countries are, are terrified of getting dragged into the regulatory apparatus uh, in the U.S. So rather than... Uh, uh, set up special procedures for dealing with U.S. clients, they just say, no, if you're an American, we don't want your business. Now, that doesn't mean there's no place to go. Uh, it does mean that you will get a far warmer welcome if you use a foreign company that you own or a foreign trust that you've established uh, to open foreign accounts. That way you walk in the door not as an American but as a representative of a of a non-US entity. Mhm. And and this is the kind of thing I guess you help uh, investors uh, Americans and uh, others to do, is that right? That's correct. To structure legally structuring ways uh to invest overseas. That's correct. Uh what what is the um w- Switzerland used to be considered a great place to go. No longer is it. It's not considered the haven it once was. Uh, well, it's still a haven, but it's not as welcoming for Americans as it used to be. Uh, most Swiss banks now simply will not accept business from U.S. clients. And the few that still will uh, 
generally prefer that the U.S. client uh, operate through uh, a non-U.S. Uh, limited liability company. Mm-hmm. What are some of the other places that people might be welcomed? Uh, are there any places where Americans are welcomed as individuals as opposed to uh, through a corporate entity? Well, there's almost no place where it, where it helps to be an American. Uh, but the areas that are still uh, comparatively easy to access are Singapore, Hong Kong, uh, Panama, uh, Belize, uh, for trust, uh, Cook Islands, uh, and for LLCs, uh, Cook Islands as well. Mm-hmm. Where are the Cook Islands? I don't even know where they are. Uh, Cook Islands are as in the same time zone as Hawaii, and they as, they're as far south of the equator as Hawaii is north of the equator. Wow. And for people in Australia and New Zealand, it is Hawaii. It's where they go mm. for winter vacation. Mm. And how does one get there from the United States? And is it necessary to go there to open an account? No, it's not necessary to go there. Federal Express can go there for you. Uh, okay. But if, but if you'd like to see the place, and it is, it is a very pleasant spot to go to. Uh, it's fairly easy to get to. Uh, there's a flight from Los Angeles once a week, nonstop to Rarotonga, which is the main island in the Cook Islands. Interesting. What? Uh, so, what about Canada for Americans? Can that work? I mean, it's it's obviously a place. Uh, you know, it's just it's real close here. I've got a, a not very far to Montreal from where I live in New York, and of course, people on the West Coast can go to Vancouver fairly easily. Yes. Uh, how does Canada look? Uh, well, I guess the Canadians Canadians really don't want us. I mean, they a long time ago they got sick of our uh, whining and and suing in the in the in the <laughs> securities industry. Uh, but um, I guess it's same thing with Canadians. You need to open an open an account through a corporate entity or something, probably. Well. Going offshore with your finances is so mysterious and so exotic for most Americans that Canada really is a good place to start, even if you're doing something uh, very simple. Uh, if you show up at uh, a bank in Canada with uh, your passport and with a utility bill as proof of your uh, place of residence, you can open uh, a personal bank account. Uh, if you want to open an account for a, a U.S. company, it gets far more involved. Uh, so the simple thing you can start with would be a, a bank account in, in Canada. And once you have that open, the whole idea of internationalizing your finances will instantly become much less mysterious uh, and much more, much less uh, exotic feeling. Uh, another thing you can do in Canada is to open a brokerage account, although what you'll find at the end of the day is that uh, your account is with a Canadian, uh, a U.S. affiliate of the brokerage firm in Canada. Uh, so I'd say uh, if you're just getting started, a Canadian bank account would be a good place to make your first step. 
And you might do that uh, if for no other reason than to diversify your currency holdings, I guess. That's right. You would be investing in, in Canadian dollars. And uh, what, are your, what are your thoughts about that? I know you, you uh, as a financial planner, are very, very unique in many ways. You're a financial planner who seems to understand gold uh, and silver and understand the wreckage. Well, working with Harry Brown, how would you not understand uh, how we are in the process of destroying our currency and our freedom and our free markets and our way of life? Um, so... What, where do you where, where would you suggest uh, what currencies might you suggest we look to put our money into besides well, if, the Canadian dollar? If what you're thinking about is buying a foreign currency and just holding it for the next five or ten years, uh, Canadian dollar would be a good choice. Uh, Australian dollar, uh, New Zealand dollar, uh, but there's no there's no hurry because those currencies are no longer cheap. They're no longer bargains, uh, and uh, you can expect uh, setbacks uh, along the way. But if you're just going to put something in a safe deposit box for five years, uh, Canadian dollar would be a much better choice than U.S. dollar because of their underlying uh, production of commodities and things well, that people have to have reasons. to stay alive. Uh, one, they don't have the big debt problems that the U.S. has. They don't have uh, runaway deficits. And uh, they, they all have healthy, export-driven economies. Um, that's, that's certainly true. Uh, what about uh, Argentina, you, where you and I met down there? Uh, what are your views on Argentina? Well, it's a great place to eat dinner, <laughs> and it's a very, very comfortable place to be, especially uh, uh, up in the, the northern provinces, uh, but it's certainly no place to uh, put your money. Uh, land titles are uh, strongly respected, and they have been uh, for essentially forever in, in Argentina, so holding... holding Real property in Argentina is a, I think, a good choice, but it is no place to have a bank account. And why is that? Uh, <laughs> because if you think the U.S. government is high-handed and thoughtless, uh, you, you should take a look at the Argentine government. Uh, That's interesting. About uh, about ten years ago. Uh, the, Argentine government was having currency problems, so overnight uh, they, they they declared that every bank account in Argentina that held foreign currency was instantly converted into Argentine pesos, mm -hmm. and, and at a rate determined by the government's edict. Mm -hmm. uh, so f since then, nobody wants to rely on an Argentine bank. No. Oh. So you just have enough currency uh, for your day-to-day -day needs, basically, is all you would want to do. That's right. Uh, That's right. Uh, wealthy people in Argentina bank in Uruguay. In Uruguay. Okay. Well, I'm sure there would be um, a lot more to talk to you about where people might put their money, but actually that's the kind of uh, 
information that you provide to your clients and where can people learn to know more about your work and, and keep track of you of what you're doing uh, I guess you write some things I know you're on the video we see you every now and then you definitely uh, write for the Casey report so how can people follow your work I do write for the Casey report and separately from that if you're interested in uh, setting your financial life up uh, offshore, uh, go to PassportTrustInfo.com and you'll learn about a cost-effective way to get very serious offshore protection. Very good, uh, Terry. And, and if people want to sign up for the Casey Report, where do they go for that? Do they, is there, they you can just to, Google Doug Casey or... No, go to... Well, you can do that or go to caseyresearch.com. Caseyresearch.com. Excellent. Thank you very much, Terry, for uh, coming on the show and, and wetting us, uh, getting us just a little bit of uh, introduction to offshore investing. I'm sure this is something that I certainly want to follow up with you uh, on personally uh, to the extent it makes sense for Mrs. Taylor and myself to do that. Uh, but uh, very good. Thank you very much for coming on. I hope we can talk to you again soon and maybe pursue some of these topics a little further. I'd Thanks like very much. Thank Terry. you. Uh, folks, don't go away. We're going to be right back with Chris Powell of the Gold Antitrust Action Committee. He's going to have a lot of things, I'm sure, very interesting things to tell us about gold and silver and what the markets uh, and the policymakers are doing to try to keep you disinterested in real money. Don't go away. We'll be right back with Chris Powell. Business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. Enertopia Corporation is exploring for precious metal deposits in the western United States. The Copper Hills Project is a near-surface copper and silver oxide deposit. Historic bulk sampling has returned results of 0.8% copper and 3 ounces per ton silver. This year's work program will consist of an IP survey and a drilling program to test the near-surface copper-silver mineralization. Additional projects are under review. Enertopia trades on the OTCBB under ticker ENRT and in Canada under the symbol TOP on the CNS. Exchange. Brigus Gold is a growing gold producer with expected production of about 85,000 ounces of gold this year from its Black Fox mine in the Timmins Gold District in Canada. Next door to Black Fox, Brigus has the exciting Gray Fox Pike River Gold Project. Brigus is also advancing its Gold Fields Project in Saskatchewan, Canada, and its promising exploration projects in Mexico and the Dominican Republic. All of its gold assets are in low-risk operating jurisdictions. Consider Brigus as your gold investment choice. Brigus is listed on the MX and TSX under the symbol BRD. Origa Gold is a Canadian mine development and exploration company working in Manitoba's prolific Flin Flon Greenstone Belt. Origa's experienced management team is focused on developing the Maverick Gold Project and expanding gold resources. Maverick Gold includes historical gold resources, a 1,000-ton-per-day mill, developed underground ramp, year-round roads, and exploration access. Origa plans to bring Maverick Gold back into production in 2012. Origa Gold trades on the TSX Venture under the symbol AIA. 
Barkerville Gold Mines, BGM on the TSX.V, is focused on the exploration and development of its gold projects in the historic Caribou Goldfields in British Columbia. Barkerville's mineral tenure now encompasses over 111,000 hectares, covering the 60-kilometer long by 20-kilometer wide geological belt and includes seven past-producing mines and two of Barkerville's own proposed open pit mines, currently in the permitting process. Barkerville recently announced the acquisition of the QR mine and 900-ton-per-day QR mill. Parkerville Gold began mining operations in February of 2010 and is expecting to produce 50,000 ounces in its first full year of mining. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network. 